Hey guys, just before we get started, I wanted to kind of put a swear warning because I realize I do in fact swear a lot and I just kind of want to make sure if any kitties are listening that uh, you should probably stop now if unless you're a mature child. And also I'd like to say, uh, sorry mom, <laughs> let's get started with the episode. Hey guys, sorry to interrupt your regularly scheduled programming, but I just wanted to put a little disclaimer before we start this episode because of a comment I got about the show recently. I have ADHD, you guys know this, and having ADHD is a really shitty neurological condition to deal with. It affects everything in my life, absolutely everything, including my speech. I slur over my words, I can't pronounce things, I talk fast, all of that crap. It's something that I'm overall very insecure about, and as I've learned, it can turn some people off this podcast because they expect something clean-cut and free of errors. So, to rectify that, here's an ADHD warning. I have ADHD, and I will be making a lot of mistakes with my speech during this episode, and if that bothers you, feel free to find another historical podcast. There's a lot of great ones out there that are much, much better than me, maybe even better researched than mine. Now that I've made that pretty clear, I hope you guys enjoy the episode. Bye. Long may she reign. Presented to you by Aidan Fitzgerald. Oh, that was that was a satisfying one, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey guys, welcome back to the Long May She Rain podcast. I'm Aiden. I'm your host of this podcast. So, I had a bad weekend. You want to hear about it? Of course you do. So, I was supposed to go thrifting on Saturday. Unfortunately, it was very, very cold that day, like negative 40. That's in Celsius for uh, my American friends. I don't know what it is in Fahrenheit because I don't know how Fahrenheit works. But uh, the point is it was really cold, so cold that if I uh, breathed in, I could feel my nostrils freeze. So I tried to boost my car with this like special like wireless battery thing and jumper cables that my parents bought me. Um, I couldn't do it because it was too windy. It was very upsetting. I was so excited to go thrifting. And then... um, I couldn't sleep that same night. I just couldn't sleep. And I think I maybe got to bed at like 2 o'clock in the morning. Next thing you know, at 5 o'clock in the morning, the fire alarm goes off in my dorm. Yay! And uh, it was really (laughs) shitty because I was having such a good sleep. And we had to go out in that, like, negative 40 weather. Some people were in shorts. Poor things. We were out there for, like, 20 or 30 minutes. Although they did let us go into the next dorm that didn't have a fire alarm on uh, to keep warm. But it was still really weird and sucky. And I didn't want to be there. And then I was too terrified that the fire alarm was going to go off again. Because we have had that issue in this building where it'll go off twice. Because, you know, someone didn't reset stuff properly. So, like, I couldn't sleep, so I stayed up from uh, 5 to, like, 9.30 until my shift at work was going to start, and then I had to go on the rest of the day because I had a birthday party to go to, and it was just awful. In total, I had, like, three hours of sleep to get through that day, and I was not, like, awake. I was, like, like, every five seconds, but don't worry. I had a very restful, like, 11-hour sleep last night, so I'm good. Thank you for asking. Anyway. 
you guys don't care. You don't want to hear about this. What you are here to hear about is Anna May Wong. That is who we are discussing today. Now, some of you may not have heard of her. I only learned about her a couple years ago. Um, I was watching a TV show that uh, I think it's still on Netflix. It was a mini uh, mini series called Hollywood. And it's basically this like, what if Hollywood is more was more like diverse after uh, World War II, and it features uh, anime Wong in it. And immediately, I was intrigued by her character, so I decided to Google her, and she was in fact very interesting. So I put her on my master list of women I wanted to discuss, and today is that day. She is so endlessly fascinating to me and she really kind of broke down barriers for Asian American acts well Asian actors in general getting into Hollywood and she's just great I'm I hope you guys are excited for this episode I know I am let's get into it all right ladies and gents so Anna Mae Wong was born as Wong Liu Tsung on January 3rd 1905 in Los Angeles California on Flower Street which was a block away from Chinatown to first generation Chinese Americans Sam Ki Wong and his second wife Li Gong Toy now of course her being born on January 3rd makes her a Capricorn and gosh it's been such a while since we had a Capricorn on the show I think the last episode I did where the uh, woman was a Capricorn was like way back when I did Charlotte of Wales or something like that. Like the first episode I had like a mic that you guys could actually uh, hear me on instead of uh, me doing this on my phone. So, you know, it's been a minute. Um, Capricorns are often described as practical, independent, and self-reliant, which I think is pretty accurate for Anna. Um, throughout her career in Hollywood, she pulled herself up by her own fucking bootstraps and built a career for herself, even though racism kept getting in her way. Although... I wouldn't call her practical in any ways. Girl was extra and over the top, which we'll, we'll talk about in a second. Uh, but before we start talking about that, let's talk about her parents and her background. And I actually want to talk about her birth name versus her stage name. Now, uh, obviously, as you've heard, uh, Anna has a more traditional Chinese name. Um, her Chinese name actually translates as Willow Frost, which is actually kind of funny because she was born on Flower Street. And... Um, you know, I actually don't know if willows count as flowers, but let's just say they do and say it's like a cute coincidence that her name happens to mean Willow Frost and she was born on a street called Flower Street, okay? Um, as for her stage name, Anna chose Anime Wong, which uh, combines her uh, English nickname that her parents called her and her Chinese surname together. Now, many actors, especially actors of color, even today, with foreign-sounding names would change their names to sound more English or even French to appeal to American audiences or just generally be easier to pronounce or spell. Um, some East uh, Asian actors, uh, like I said, still do that. Um, Anna is really no different in this context, especially back then in early Hollywood, where they just really didn't really like the sound of foreignness, foreignness in American Hollywood. Now, if any actors of color wanted to get anywhere, they had to change their name. So I'm going to call her Anna for this episode. I hope that doesn't bother anyone because that's just how she's better known than as her birth name. Okay, let's talk a bit about Anna's parents and her grandparents a bit because her family taught me a lot about Chinese immigration in the States and about Chinese communities in the early 1900s, which is just something I didn't really know a lot about. And I hope you guys are excited to learn about that too. Now, Anna's paternal grandparents had managed to immigrate to California in the 1850s before the Chinese Exclusion Act was signed, which banned Chinese immigration to the United States. 
Anna's grandfather, A.W. Wong, opened two general stores near a gold rush town in California, so Anna's father, Sam, grew up somewhat middle class throughout his life. Uh, Anna's father spent a lot of time going back and forth between the U.S. and China until his father died, trying to save a woman from falling in a well, which I don't know if the woman died too, but that's how Anna's grandfather died from trying to save a woman falling into a well. Anyway, uh, Anna's dad, Sam, briefly moved to his father's hometown in China, where he met and married his first wife and had a son. However, in about 1898, he returned to the U.S., and according to what I've read, married Anna's mom, but it never said he divorced his first wife, and he also, like, never went back to China, where his, like, wife and son were, and also they're, like, never dressed again, so I don't know what happened there like did they get a divorce or not or, or was he just being really bigamous who knows anyway ignoring the big bigamy um anna's mother was also the child of chinese immigrants who grew up middle class in los angeles and that's pretty much all i was able to find about uh, anna's mom but her parents seem to have grown up in very similar backgrounds so it makes sense that they got together um anna would have grown up in pretty bustling household she had six siblings with her being number two uh, so I'm sure there was a very loud house. Um, her parents ran a laundromat in the neighborhood, which had a, uh, mix of Mexican and Eastern European families. Uh, they were the only Chinese people on their block, by the way. Um, Anna spent most of her childhood working with her siblings at her parents' laundromat, like helping her parents clean sheets. And when she was old enough, she would take a bike and deliver laundry to her family's customers. Um, as for her education, Anna um, first attended public school with her older sister, Lulu, and other immigrant kids and white kids because, um, but because they were the only Chinese kids there, the white kids would make fun of Anna and Lulu by calling them slurs, which, fucking typical. <sighs> so their parents had them and all of Anna's younger siblings move to a Chinese missionary school where they were taught basically all the same sub subjects, you know, reading, writing, math, history, science, uh, all taught in English. However, on weekends, they went to Chinese language classes to perfect their Chinese and keep that up. Um, as for Anna's appearance, if you haven't seen a picture of Anna before, stop right now, take a minute, Google her, because fuck, she is gorgeous. She is so pretty. She has these, like, really sharp features that just make her so striking. And I don't know if she was, like, choosing her own, like, clothes or she had a stylist during her career but her outfits always on point always on point especially in her like flapper era that she had and it had like the ideal body type for the flapper era so she just looked so elegant in drop waist gowns and art deco jewelry which i don't i'm very jealous of that i love drop waist but i can't wear them i'm too curvy for that <laughs> not to mention uh, anna had really edgy hair, especially uh, edgy for the 1920s. She had this, like, dark black hair that she cut into this, like, really angular pixie cut in the 20s. But she also ended up growing out her hair to be very long in the 1930s, which is also really pretty. Although I kind of prefer her, like, angular bob because of her, like, really sharp features. Basically what I'm trying to say is that she was super pretty and I'm super jealous of that because damn girl, damn. Now, when Anna was in, like, elementary school, the film industry ended up moving out to California from New York. So, suddenly, a whole bunch of silent films were being filmed in and near her neighborhood, and Anna became obsessed with uh, movies. Now, back then, it was fairly easy to get on movie sets and actually watch these things being filmed, not like today, where you've got, like, armies of guards and, like, streets being shut down. Um, and very quickly, Anna was skipping school to go watch silent movies be filmed, and she was there so often that some set workers started calling her the curious Chinese child. 
now, not only was Anna watching mo these movies being filmed, but she loved going to see movies in theaters. Now, back then, some movie theaters were called Nickelodeons, where you could go and watch silent films. Now, these places charge five cents for admission, and Anna would use the lunch money her parents were giving her for, you know, her to go to high school. Um, she would use her lunch money to go watch Nickelodeon shows instead of going to school. Now, Anna wasn't really sure why the film industry was so memorized mesmerizing, I'm sorry, mesmerizing to her, but she knew that this was what she wanted to do with her life, but her parents weren't exactly on board with that plan. Um, Anna's father especially thought her wanting to become an actress would be a ridiculous waste of time and that she should focus on her studies, but Anna was a very headstrong person. She did not listen to her father's warning, and in hindsight, I'm so glad she didn't listen to him. Now, ever since Anna uh, had been watching movies be filmed, she had made a decent amount of friends on film sets, and she had been begging pretty much everyone she could talk to if she could have a role in one of these movies. Anything that she could have, she didn't care what it was, she just wanted to be on screen. So, when she was 14 years old, one of her dad's friends with some movie connections got her a role as an extra on a movie called The Red Lantern, where basically all she did was carry a lantern, that's it, and... Anna carrying this lantern in this one movie when she was a teenager was the start of a very, very impressive decades-long career. Now, after being cast as an extra in The Red Lantern, she continued to appear as an extra next to huge silent film stars of the time like Priscilla Dean. However, she was finding it really difficult to keep up with high school and being an actress, so against her parents' wishes, she dropped out of Los Angeles High School to pursue acting full-time when she was about 16. Also, uh, interesting side note, I was curious about Los Angeles High School and if it produced any other famous people because it's actually the oldest public school in Southern California and boy has it produced some fucking interesting people. Uh, Dustin Hoffman, George uh, Takai, and Chloe Zhao are just a few names I recognize, but the school has produced like tons of people from athletes to actors and Anna is just one of the many people who came out of that high school and became like really famous. Like what's in the water with Los Angeles High School? Who knows? Anyway, Anna was determined to work as hard as she could. She figured if she couldn't make it as an actress in 10 years, she would move on and try something new. But in just under a year, she got her first big break. Um, in 1922, Anna was given her first leading role as a character named Lotus Flower in a movie called Toll of the Sea. Now, the basic plot of Toll of the Sea is that Anna got to play a young Chinese woman who falls in love with an American man who she finds washed up. Uh, from the sea, and almost like Little Mermaid style, they have a romance and get married, but he ends up leaving her and returns home to America, while Anna and his character gives birth to their kid. Um, eventually, the husband comes back with his uh, white American wife, and Anna's character asks her husband and his wife to take her son to America. She eventually dies at the end of the movie. Now, I actually watched the film um, a couple of weeks ago, and even though I've, I've never seen a silent film in my life, so this was really interesting, um, I actually really enjoyed it, and it does a really good job, and critics thought so, too. You know, normally I'm really against silent films, because, like, obviously they're silent, and you, have to, like, you really have to pay attention to them to get them. But I, I really enjoyed it, and like I said, critics thought she was really great in it, too. Um, the New York Times commented, Miss um, Wong stirs in the spectator all the sympathy her part calls for, and she uh, never repels one by an excess of, excess of theatrical feeling. She has a difficult role, a role that is botched nine times out of ten, but hers is a tenth, tenth performance, completely unconscious of the camera with a fine sense of proportion and remarkable pan 
pantomimic accuracy. She should be seen again and often on the screen. That's, that's a pretty, like, raving review. Like, shit, like, that's a lot to get for, like, your first leading role. Now, what's even cooler about this film, it was it was actually one of the first silent films to be filmed in color, which is really cool. Now, um, as I've mentioned, Anna's career was pretty long. I'm not going to detail, like, everything she was in, but I'm going to try and give you guys, like, the scope of the movie and TV show she was in during her decades-long career. So, after starring in Toll of the Sea... Anna was cast in the role of an enslaved Mongol girl in 1924's The Thief of Baghdad, and even though it was a small role compared to Toll of the Sea, this part properly introduced her to the general public. Um, but I, I don't know why it's considered her breakout role when she, like, had a lead role, like, the two years before, but uh, this role kind of catapulted her into the main scene because like she kind of stole the show even though her part was so small now as she gained more fame for her talent she decided to move out of her parents home into her own apartment so she could really grind at the acting business um also in 1924 she was able to set up her own production company to make more accurate and diverse films about chinese culture and by the way she was only 19 when she did this like I wasn't fucking opening production companies at 19. Good for her. But unfortunately, her company had to be shut down because her business partner had been uh, involved in, let's say, some illegal business dealings. You guys can't see my quotations around illegal business dealings. But he was doing some, like, shady shit. So she had to shut down her production company. Now, even though Anna was a rising star and pretty beloved by the public, that didn't stop 1920s Hollywood from being literally as racist as possible towards her. Every film Anna got would always cast her in very certain roles, like a dragon lady role, uh, or as a seductress. Um, not to mention racial laws at the time prevented Anna from being able to kiss white actors on screen, even though said laws don't specify anything about Asians and white people being able to kiss. She was still barred from, uh, for the most part, from kissing white leads, even even if those white actors were in yellow face, which is shit that happened in order to get around said kissing laws, they'd literally just, like, hire white actors and, and they'd pretend to be Asian, which is, like, really bad. Um, the only male Asian actor that Anna could actually kiss was a Japanese silent film actor named Seisu uh, Hayawaka. I think I pronounced that right. I'm so sorry if I didn't. Although, it's unlikely that any film studio at the time would have ever cast them both as leads. They didn't end up working together until uh, the sound era of film came about. We'll talk about that later, though. It's also important to note that American audiences kind of perceived Anna as foreign because she was Asian. So in order to get her away from that, she cultivated an ultra-American flapper image by cutting her hair super short and wearing fashionable American clothing, which helped. But, you know, all in all, the American public was going to perceive her as foreign, despite the fact that she was born and raised in the States. Both of her parents were born and raised in the States, like, but the American public didn't care. They were like, she's Asian. She's clearly foreign. Ugh. Anyway. Throughout the late uh, 20s, she continued to be typecast and lose out uh, playing lead roles written for Asian actors to white actors who could do the movies in yellow face. Uh, two times in Anna's career, she played parts uh, not written for Asian Americans, such as when she played an Inuit person in a film called The Alaskan. Um, in that same year, she played the part of, a pr of Princess Tiger Lily in Peter Pan, which kind of sucks, like... Those parts should have gone to an Inuit or an indigenous actress, and they took her because, like, it was close enough for them. Fucking Hollywood, man. <sighs> um, 
fun facts, though, um, Anna was also present for the opening of the famous Chinese theater in Los Angeles, but in a very stupid fucking twist of irony, she was not asked to leave her handprints at the theater when it opened, like a whole bunch of other Hollywood actors were, which is fucking stupid because she's Chinese and it's a Chinese theater. Yeah, no, the racism in this episode is just, like, it's the audacity, guys. The fucking audacity. Now, in the movie uh, Old San Francisco in 1927, she lost out on the lead role and instead played a gangster's daughter, which really sucked. I, she would have done so good in that movie. I watched it. Um, in her next film, Mr. Wu, she again lost out on the lead role until finally after losing out on the lead role in Crimson City to another white act actress, Anna decided, I'm fucking done. This is enough. I need to go refresh my career somehow. So in a very... Uh, Evelyn Hugo moment for Anna. She packed her bags and she headed to Europe where the film industry was a little more diverse than Amer America's uh, film industry. Not by much, but they were definitely a lot more willing to cast uh, actors and actresses of color in lead roles, which was exactly what Anna was looking for. Now, I like to call this segment of Anna's story Anna's European Vacation of Film and Romance, because that's pretty much what it was. Now, it was actually pretty common in this time period, especially for actors of color, to head off and do movies in Europe because the film industry there was a lot more relaxed about racial laws and integration. Now, that's not to say Europeans weren't just as racist as their American counterparts, because fuck they were, but Anna definitely found an easier time getting parts that she wanted in Europe compared to Hollywood. She was able to start as a lead in all the movies she made overseas and was able to work with white actors and actually kiss them if she wanted to. And best of all, European audiences fucking adore adored her and they adored her education acting especially because in uh, many of these films uh she learned how to speak german in a couple of the german movies she made which god i can't imagine how hard it is to one learn your lines as an actor and two learn your lines as an actor in a language you don't speak especially for anna like her, her first two languages are english and chinese i can't imagine how hard it is to Go over to German. I've never learned German, but I've heard it's hard. So she learned German for one of the roles she did, which is really cool. Now, while we're chilling with Anna in Europe, I thought it would be a good time to discuss Anna's love life. Now, spoiler alert, Anna never gets married or has children, but she was linked to and did date a few people in secret during her career, especially in Europe. And one of her first relationships was at the start of her career with a director who was white, so that obviously uh, couldn't be publicly talked about. Um... While in London, she was romantically linked with Eric Moschwitz, who actually wrote a song about how heartbroken he was that she left him, which is so... That's kind of cool. Also, uh, while in Europe, Anna was romantically linked with a few women, such as uh, Lini Riefenstahl, who was a director and who would actually eventually be responsible for a bulk of Nazi propaganda, despite claiming she had no idea about the Holocaust. I don't know how much to uh, believe uh, Lini Riefenstahl about how much she n knew or didn't know about the Holocaust, but that's just what she's known for, so Anna was uh, romantically linked with her for a little bit. Um, Anna was also linked to two fellow actresses, Marlene Dietrich and uh, Cecilia Cunningham. Uh, these accusations of her being a lesbian minorly damaged Anna's reputation and also annoyed the shit out of some of her Chinese relatives who thought she was uh, embarrassing the family by being an actress. Uh, now, I can't say for sure if Anna was a lesbian or bisexual or anything or not because she never labeled herself, And uh, but I also can't lie and say there's no way something a little fruity didn't happen in the back of the theater one night 
Just saying. Now, before we get back into it, I want to mention uh, one other man, the press linked to her, and that was Korean-American actor Philip Han. Um, in the late 30s, they made a couple of movies together and people saw their chemistry, which makes sense. They were childhood friends. They knew each other very well. But when asked if she had plans to marry him, Anna replied, it would be like marrying my brother, which is very cute. I've seen there's a lot of pictures out there of her and Philip, and they're actually like, they're really adorable. Maybe like a best friends to lovers thing or just or maybe the press was making shit up. Who knows? Anyway. In the 30s, two major things happened to Anna. The first was that her mother was killed when a car hit her in front of their old home on Flower Street. So Anna had to rush home for the funeral. Uh, while she was in Los Angeles, she realized that the movie industry had changed a bit while she was gone with the invention of films with sound. And Hollywood was looking for talent all over the place, especially from Europe. And ironically, uh, Anna caught Hollywood's eye. Again. <laughs> Now, in 1930, she signed a deal with Paramount, which promised top billing and lead roles, and she used money from that deal to help her family set up when they decided to move back to China after her mother's death. Um, I have to mention that her dad gave a very sweet interview for a Chinese magazine, where he talked about how proud he was of his ultra-famous daughter, which is so goddamn cute, and it's actually nice that he had uh, such a change of heart when he was the very person who told her that she'd be wasting her time if she became an actress. But he was like, he was so giddy about his daughter being so successful. So go supportive dad. Woo. <laughs> now, one of the first non-silent roles she played in in Hollywood was in a movie called Daughter of the Dragon in 1930. Now, despite the role being a little stereotypical, it was much better than the stupid dragon lady shit she had done in the 20s. So she accepted the part and got to work with fellow Asian actor Seisu Heiwaka, although uh, she was severely underpaid for this role. She was only given uh, $6,000, which I don't know how much that is today, while her uh, co-lead got $10,000 and a white supporting actor, he wasn't even the lead, got paid like $12,000. Now, despite this, Anna's fame shot up higher than it had ever been in her first stint in Hollywood, even in Europe. Um, in 1932, she starred in Shanghai Express with her possible boo-thang, Marlene Dietrich. Uh, and thanks to Anna's new fame, she had a little more influence than she had once had, so she started making political statements on behalf of the Asian American community. Uh, late in 1931, for example, uh, she wrote uh, a harsh criticism criticism of the Mukden incident and Japan's subsequent invasion of Manchuria. Uh, she also became more outspoken in her advo advocacy for Chinese-American causes and for better film roles. Um, in 1933, sorry, in a 1933 interview for Film Weekly entitled I Protest, uh, Anna criticized the negative stereotyping uh, that happened to her in Daughter of the Dragon, and she said, why is it that the screen Chinese is always the villain, and so crew the villain? murderous and treacherous a snake in the grass we are not like that how could we be with a civilization that is so many times older than the west now even though anna's career should have been on the up and up after starring in two hugely successful films her career being skipped over started to come back to haunt her she was passed over for the leading uh, female role in the sun sorry in a movie called the sun daughter in favor of helen hayes now, Metro, Metro Goldwyn Mayer deemed her too Chinese to play a Chinese in the film. Um, later that year, Anna was scheduled to play the role of a mistress to a corrupt Chinese general in, in Frank Capra's 
of the bitter tea of General Yen, 1933, but the part went to Toshia Mori at the last minute. Uh, at this time, Anna made a brief tour to China to reconnect with her culture and study Chinese theater, but she actually didn't get the warmest welcome in the world. Many Chinese people actually criticized her for spreading stereotypes, and even the nationalist government called her out on it. Although not everyone thought of her so negatively in China, she was given an honorary doctorate by a prestigious Chinese university. Not to mention, she was a total style icon worldwide, so at least she had that going for her. But it's so sad, like, to... To be a person of color, any person of color, but especially her being Chinese-American. She was born in America. She is American. But she's also Chinese, but neither culture will accept her. Like, how? That's so fucking sad. I couldn't even imagine that. Um, <clears throat> now, from the 1930s and on, she went back and forth between uh, the American and European movie scenes, trying to snatch up any roles that would come to her. Until she lost one film role that came to really define her career. Now, in the early... 30s, a book called The Good Earth came out, which talked about Japanese imperialism in China, uh, which was a topic that Anna was incredibly pas passionate about. Now, ever since that book was published, it was Anna's dream to play one of the lead characters. Even American newspapers thought if a movie was made out of The Good Earth book, she should play one of the lead characters. But once again, Hollywood disappointed her. Anna went out for the role she wanted as planned, but a Chinese advisor on the film who didn't like her told MGM not to hire her, and so the role went to white actress Louise Trainer, who won a fucking Oscar for doing that role in Yellow Face, by the way. Now, very often, Anna's being passed over for this role is made a very big deal of, of and to be fair, it is. Her loss of this role and the Oscar that probably would have come with it was one of the worst things to ever happen to her in her career, and it made her so upset. But I just want to say I don't think it defines her career. Whether or not she got the part, Anna is still a fucking acting legend, and her career impact was just as good even if she had gotten that role in The Good Earth. But it boils my fucking blood that she could have gotten that role and won an Oscar for it. Like, I think she could have done so much better. So much better. Now, as, as much as I'm trying to be civil about this, um, the angry person in me wants to say, fuck MGM, so I will. Fuck MGM. They should have fucking given her that part. Fucking Chinese advisor fucking hated on her for no reason. Anyway, in Anna's later career, she suffered from a lot of depression and anxiety because of how some people in China criticized her role, which made her drink and smoke way too much, not to mention accidentally snap at people. She she was a very angry person in the uh, late 1930s. Um, Anna once said of her frustration in being turned down or passed over for roles, I'm convinced that I could never play in the Chinese theater. I have no feeling for it. It's a pretty sad situation to be rejected by Chinese by the Chinese because I'm too American and by American producers because they refer they prefer other races to act Chinese parts. Now in the late 30s and early 40s Anna got the chance to act in less stereotypical Chinese parts like in the King of Chinatown and even better in Daughter of Shanghai uh, which was so good it's been preserved by the Library of Congress. They have a copy of it in the Library of Congress and it's going to be preserved for hundreds of years. Um, Anna actually said of Daughter of Shanghai, I like my part in this picture better than any I've had before this because this picture gives us Chinese a break. We have sympathetic parts for a change. To me, that means a great deal. Now, Anna also did more politics and charity work in the late 30s and early 40s. Um, in 1938, uh, she auctioned off her movie costumes and donated the money to the Chinese 
Aid and the Chinese Benevolent Association of California. Uh, the proceeds from the preface of a uh, book that she actually wrote in 1942 is a cookbook entitled New Chinese Recipes uh, went to uh, the United China Relief Fund. Uh, between 1939 and 1942, she made um, a few appearances in films. Um, and engaged in many events and appearances in support of the Chinese struggle against Japan, which is a really big thing at the start of World War II. Um, Anna also visited Australia for more than three months in 1939. Uh, there she was basically a star attraction in a vaudeville show entitled Highlights from Hollywood at the Trevally Theatre in Melbourne. Um, in Anna's later life, she owned apartments and continued her advocacy for China, as well as starring a TV show where she sorry, where she played a detective uh, where the character was actually named after her birth name, which is really cool. I think she was, I think she was a producer on that, which is why she got to name the character after, well, herself. herself. I'm sorry, I'm tripping over my words today. I'm very stuttery today. Now, despite doing actually pretty well for herself into the 1950s, her health was failing her, you know, with all the drinking and the smoking. And uh, worst of all, she was devastated by the loss of her father in 1950. Uh, that same year, she suffered an internal hemorrhage, which she recovered from, but that was the, not the last one she had. Um, in 1960, Anna received a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, which inspired her to try and return to movies. Uh, Anna was scheduled to play the role of a Madame Liang in Rogers, Rogers and Hammerstein's Flower Drum Song, but was unable to take the part due to her health issues. Um, on February 3rd, 1961, at the age of 56, Anna died of a heart attack as she slept at her home in Santa Monica two days after her final on-screen performance on uh, television's The Barbara Stanwyck Show in an episode entitled Dragon by the Tail. Uh, Anna was cremated and her ashes were interred with her mother's at Angelus's Rosedale Cemetery in Los Angeles. Now, getting into legacy, there is, God, just so much to say about Anna's legacy as a person and as an actress that it's kind of hard to keep it brief. brief. Although uh, Hollywood tried to beat her down, Anna was a complete rock star who kept charging ahead nonetheless. Uh, Anna was a beautiful, talented, a fashion icon for decades, not to mention charitable and cared about accurate representation of her people. Um, and actually, as far as I know, Gemma Chan has a movie coming out in the next few years where she's going to play Anime Wong. I'm very excited to see how that will portray Anna's story, and I, I will definitely be one of the first people in line to go and see that. Now, thank you guys so much for joining me. I will see you guys in two weeks with a brand new episode for Black History Month. I'm sorry this isn't a Black History Month episode. I did not plan correctly, but I hope you guys are excited for the actual Black History Month episode that I've planned for you guys. Love you guys so much. Bye! Hey guys, thanks for listening. If you have any suggestions for topics, you can just DM me on Twitter at LongMaceyRain2. The N at the end of rain is replaced with a 2 instead. I'm also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, and like a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, don't forget to rate and review this podcast on all those platforms. It really actually does help the show so much and it will help me grow my audience. So I would absolutely appreciate it if you you guys could do that. All right. Uh, bye.